Hello, and welcome to New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, a layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions for the Florida Conference. And I am Michael Adam Beck. I'm the director of Fresh Expressions Florida and the director of Fresh Expressions United Methodist. And our guest today is Rosario Raz Picardo. And Raz grew up in Western New York as a first-generation Sicilian-American. In 2003, he earned his Bachelor of Arts in Religion from Houghton College and and in 2007, a Master of Divinity from Asbury Theological Seminary. He graduated with a Doctor of Ministry from United Theological Seminary, United in the House. Y'all listeners, make some noise for United. In 2014, and an MBA in 2021 from Dakota Wesleyan University, because he needed just another degree to add there. During his senior year of college, Roz entered the ministry as a military chaplain, serving four years in the Marine Reserves and five years in the Navy Reserves. While attending seminary, he recognized the call to serve the local church and has experience in all facets of church life through roles ranging from church custodian to associate pastor to church planner and executive pastor of church planning at Ginghamsburg Church for five years, where they had three campuses and worshiped over 4,000 folks. Also, Roz is one of the founding pastors of Mosaic, a multicultural church in Dayton, Ohio, and the most exciting church plant, I must say, uh, in that in that area of the United States. In addition to his work in the church, Roz is a national speaker, leads a consulting group for church planners and pastors called Picardo Coaching LLC, and he's the author of eight books, including my co-author and a book, a little book called Fresh Expressions in a Digital Age. And more recently, Roz serves as faculty consultant in United's Doctor of Ministry program and an affiliate faculty member. And most of the things that are incredibly awesome coming out of United Theological Seminary have Roz's fingerprints all over them. Uh, and Roz is also one of my closest friends and uh, just partners in ministry. And uh, Roz, thank you so much for giving us your time today to be on the podcast. Hey, it's my pleasure. And when I got the invitation, I thought to myself, it's about damn time. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, it's man. about time. No, no. I'm, I'm honored and, uh, and considered a privilege to be with you guys today. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. So we like to start with this question for all our guests. Um, who is Rosario Picardo? Yeah, I when I saw that question, you know, there should be an easy answer. But um, really, I am an average guy. Um, and I think that's what um, has helped me relate to other people. Is because when I when I meet folks, I don't lead with "Hey, I'm a pastor," um, because before you know it, they quit cussing around me and drinking around me, and whatever <laughs> else. So, um, and then if my cover is blown, I have to tell them, you know, I'm a pastor. But they're usually surprised. So I'm an average guy, um, child of God, person of worth, and um, a husband to my beautiful wife Callie. And uh, you know, we talk about marriage um, in the Catholic Church being a, a sign of grace, right? A sacrament. 
and it's definitely changed my life for the better. And then I have three um, little leaders, strong leaders um, that we're raising up, um, Gabriella, Lily, and Hannah. And so uh, it's been quite an adventure um, as being a father, one of the greatest joys of my life as well. And, um, you know, I'm a, I consider myself more of an evangelist than I do a pastor, um, an apostle more than I would consider myself a shepherd. And I can exercise the teaching gift, but I lean more on the prophetic over the teaching. And so um, it's been quite a journey. I never thought I would end up even being remotely, uh, you know, affiliated with any type of theological school for a guy that you know, almost flunked out of college a few times and got into mm-hmm. seminary on academic probation. So before you know it, <laughs> God does his thing and uh, here I am. So in a nutshell, that is me. That's amazing, awesome. bro. And uh, I got to say, you and Callie are quite a quite a power couple for the kingdom, just the two of you. And I love your humility and how you do lead is just as your authentic self. And the thing uh, also about you that you didn't really say is that you're kind of a serial church planter, um, but yeah. successful church plants that that have a great kingdom impact. And that's amazing. Yeah, it's um, and I never would have thought I was going to be a church planter because my plan was going in the military, being a chaplain. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And uh, I got involved with the local church in Lexington and I fell in love with the local church. And before you know it. I got on this church planting journey and then um, God surprised me with doing these restarts of dying congregations as well. Um, And it's definitely easier to give birth than to raise the dead, (laughs) but both are beautiful when they happen. Amen. I love that you have, um, you have your set of, of three girls, because I come from a set of three girls, and oh, so cool. my heart is always like, oh, you know, I know what it's like, and it's a yeah. it's a great number, three girls all in one household. I'm sure I was just actually talking to a friend, or no, it was my husband. He was like, I don't know how your dad did it, and we don't even we have a cat, and so I'm like, <laughs> you have no idea, but you know, three girls. Um, so good on you for that, and I know I hope that it's a blessing for you. Well, people um, often say, hey, are you going to try for another one to have a boy? And I'm like, actually, if we did have another child, I'd want a girl. Because uh, I, not that I have it figured out, but I've gotten the hang of it. And mm-hmm. uh, they're a lot more fun in, in, in some ways than, than boys. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a blessing. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so I want to hear more about the story of Mosaic, because that's where you're at now. Right. And so I want to hear how did it come to be and what makes it unique compared to other churches? Yeah, I, I would say um, I, I was, you know, I was working at a large church um, and the reason I moved to Dayton. Um, but I had in my my heart's desire to plant a new congregation. And so um, I hopped in the car one day with a guy named Wayne Bakken and we were driving to a meeting in uh, Columbus, which is about an hour away. And we went and heard um, from the vineyard pastor at the time, Rich Nathan, and how uh, they just have this reproducing DNA where they're launching churches left and right. It's not just in Ohio, but it's around the state, around the country, around the world. 
and how they sent people out in teams, two by two or in teams. And I'm like, you know, there's something to that. Um, And so as Wayne and I were driving back from Columbus, reflecting on our time together, I, I looked at him. I said, what if we planted a church together? We barely even knew each other. Um, he was a successful church planter. I had planted churches. And uh, before you know it, this dream kind of started to give birth. And uh, we thought we were crazy. And we let it settle for a few days. But that burden kept coming. And so um, that's that's really where Mosaic was born. Um and we were attracted to uh, uh, Green County here because we have more foreign-born people um, than really any other county in the state uh, because of our proximity to the Air Force Base and um, the hospitals. And um, one place in particular is the Green, which is a shopping strip center. And you could just hear the different languages spoken and you could see the diversity Um and so uh, I was just attracted to that place. And little did I know that we were going to have church in the movie theater right at the green. We would be doing concerts on the quad there um, in the heat of summer, you know, doing Motown's greatest hits because they wouldn't let us play any kind of worship music. So our band, we didn't even have a band, but I booked us three times in the summer that we were going to perform. And uh, and so that was kind of the kickoff. Um, and what gave birth and, and got this uh, vision of being a multi-ethnic church, Revelation 7, 9, that every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to worship God in heaven, but we don't have to wait until heaven uh, because uh, God is wanting us to build heaven on earth. And so um, we've lived into this. It's not diversity for diversity's sake, but we believe it's a kingdom command and, and mandate. And we uh, have lived it. We're living into that. So our vision is uh, we exist to become a dynamic mosaic of Jesus followers. So we're becoming it's it's uh, present perfect. Right. It's uh, something we're striving for. It's more than just aspirational, though, too. Mm-hmm. So um, in our services, uh, you'll have languages, um, different languages spoken, prayers. Um, so we're, you know, multicultural, um, you know multi-ethnic, uh, multi-linguistic, recovery, multi-generational, uh, multi, um, I might've said economic, but all across the board, um, when you come into Mosaic, it's just, we're in your face. It's kind of crazy. So you either love us or you don't. And, um, but it's unique because we're in the suburbs, like that's where we're at. Um, but the church has an urban feel to it. Like, um, like other churches I've pastored in the past. Um, and so uh, I've always, whenever um, I've been in ministry, I've been, God's just brought different people in my way, um, either the people no one else wants, the people that may be your misfits. Um, and uh, it's come together to form a beautiful thing. Um, so we're now five and a half years in. We've moved into our first permanent facility and have seen a lot of growth. So it's just been an amazing journey. Yeah, I love that, Roz. And you, um, you know, you planted a successful church in Wilmore, Kentucky and, um, you know, Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, sorry. Uh, and then you, 
you mentioned something when you were sharing about, you know, it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead. But it's interesting how you kind of were outgrowing all these spaces, you know, through COVID, you were doing parking lot worship, plant, wherever you could basically meet, you got all these people. And then <clears throat> this inherited church situation opened up where basically God gifted you with a building and an existing congregation. Um, yes. So so for listeners who might not know that dynamic, because in a sense, you also have brought resurrection to something that was there, but by planting some new thing right in the in the midst of it. Absolutely. Um, and we called that an adoption. And so um, the St. Andrew congregation was studying my book as they were going through this process of change. Um, it was don't look down, stepping out of the boat. And so um, I remember just driving by that church because it's in the same you know zip code as we had planted. And I thought, man, I'd love to be in that church. I'd love that building. And little did I know that they would invite me to come and preach on a Sunday to share about my book. And it was the last Sunday before the shutdown. So I was the last person to preach there for like a year in person, um, which was crazy. And so, um, but when I went there, the Lord said, don't say anything about any kind of partnership, adoption, don't manipulate the situation. Because when we feel like we hear from God and we do, we could volunteer information we shouldn't be. We could be um, trying to manipulate and force things to happen. And I felt like God's just saying, hey, hang back. Preach the sermon. And then the finance chair of St. Andrew approaches me and says, what are you guys doing for worship space? And then that opened up the entire conversation. And I said, hey, um, you know, with you mentioning us partnering together. I need you to go tell your pastor about that because I get in trouble fine just by myself. I don't need other people to get me in trouble too. Um, and so we went through this adoption process, eight months of discernment as we were praying together, seeking God um, and what this new church together could look like. And so now if you talk to some of the folks, um, they may not be excited about everything we do. There was a lot of change, um, but wow, they they are amazed at all the kids, babies, people that are now coming into the church, calling it their home. And for them, it was worth the price, but the folks of St. Andrews had a lot to give up. They could have kept going for a few more years. Their building was in good condition. They had money in the bank. They had five acres of land. I mean, they, they, they had more life in them, but instead of just running that down, they wanted to try something new. And that's what started this conversation. And uh, at times it's been difficult, um, but it's been more rewarding than anything else. And so they have experienced a resurrection. And for us, it rejuvenated us. Uh, so our attendance grew um, probably 60% um, pre-pandemic attendance to now. Hmm. So amazing. Now you, have, you have some people, though, that, you know, 75% vote that said, hey, we, we want this adoption to happen. The 25%, I knew we would just lose right off the bat. Some that would just kind of hang in there, see how it goes, and then they would later leave. And then 
um, you're stuck with, not stuck with, the people that are going to stick it out are the ones that are going to roll up their sleeves. You'll have one or two naysayers that'll still stay. Um, they won't contribute, but they'll complain. And what ends up happening is we spend 90% of our time with the vision squelchers and 10% of our time with the vision catchers. And we had to reverse that. We were going to invest in the people that were given back. Hmm. Hmm. Such an amazing story. Mm -hmm. We ha I have a question I want to ask, but I want to save it because this next question seems to go with it. So, um, Roz and Michael, you co-authored a book Michael mentioned earlier called Fresh Expressions in a Digital Age, How the Church Can Prepare for a Post-Pandemic World. And that was published in January of 2021. So now here we are, 2023, and it still feels like we're still learning what it means to be post-pandemic. Um, it's not a cut and dry kind of situation. But um, so now that you're a couple years out from writing that book, in what ways have you seen some of the things that you predicted in the book um, to be happening now? And what things do you think maybe you got wrong? What things have changed since then? You know, Michael wrote an article recently, and I think it captured what we put in the book. But um, the sermon, the, the emphasis of the sermon has become shorter just because of people's attention span and the amount of information and talking heads that we saw during the pandemic, right? We got an overload. We broke the internet Easter of uh, 2020. And so um, I think that has hung true, stayed true um, where preachers are becoming more concise. It's becoming more of a dialogue instead of a monologue um, more of an interaction with the congregation instead of just that sage on the stage kind of um, deal. Uh, we've seen Michael do this with Living Room Church, but I think that has become more of a trend is what we tell people is we're welcoming in our worship services now, we're welcoming you in our, our, our living room. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the atmosphere that we try to set up. So that's one of the ways I think it's been reinforced. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the hybrid stuff, we didn't quite understand it then, right, of what's, you know, happening. Um, and the pre-record really, the pre-recording worship, what I found after is our people, it, even though it looked pretty um, and sexy, um, our folks didn't want that. They wanted to be in the room with us, no matter how bad the audio was or lights and cameras and all that. So I got that wrong. Um, but you know what? We, we had to make a shift in that for our church. Um, but that that's one of the reflections I had since the book. What about you, Michael? Yeah, well, I don't want to make this. Uh, I want to focus on you and all the ministry and things that you've done since then. But I definitely think it it was ironic that we were like writing that book in the middle of the pandemic, um, trying to kind of forecast some things that we were seeing. And I think one of the um, enduring things has definitely been no vital congregation in the United States does not have some kind of online um, component. Or I, I won't say that. There, there's some out there, I'm sure, that are bucking the trends. But most of the vital congregations in the in, in the West 
are going to be congregations that figure out how to do something online. And I think the big, um, the quick failure that we had right up front um, in my context was just our inherited people weren't connecting with what we were trying to do online at all. And so my team made a pivot and we we're like, let's just stop. You know, we'll, we'll keep people connected. We'll nurture people. We'll find ways to care for the existing flock. But let's not just keep streaming something and putting all this time into it. That's like they could care less. It's just they're not. Uh, in the book, we kind of describe the difference between digital natives and digital immigrants and how we experience technology in different ways. And where, you know, Piper, like you probably had a screen, you know, at, at a very young age. Uh, generations mm-hmm. like some of my people, like they were there before the internet. Like they remember when computers were made, you know, and came mm-hmm. onto the scene. And um, so rotary phones and those kind of things. So we we pivoted, say let's just focus on the people that are actually live in this digital environment, and let's create something for them and 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 have conversations. And that's how Living Room Church came about. I think one of the things um, that has been a, fa- a failure probably was like um, we've not ever really been. So we're a church with no staff, zero employees, all of that. So we don't have the light show and the camera people and all those things. We're like bare bones. So what we've done is try to create online worship for online people and on-site worship for on-site people and be fully present with the people that are in those contexts. And I think the big learning for us was the digital space is the third place. Um, mm-hmm. And like one of the things we tried to bring out in the book is, for, for instance, people in the disabilities community who have been living online and, and their significant relationships and connections and work and all that is takes place mostly in an online built environment. So what can we learn from them? And so that that we kind of shifted into this VR church, which is Living Room Church VR, which we do on Monday nights at eight o'clock, and um, we gather in in our VR headsets, and it's a fully embodied, you know, kind of worship experience that's fully online with fully online people, like literally avatars, um, but something very real—the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus. You know, we say this before every gathering: Jesus is not just Lord of the universe; He's the Lord of the metaverse and he's the lord of this space and he's present and he's with us here and all of that so yeah yeah and it's um you know reflecting on that time i think we all have ptsd to some extent and experience <laughs> some sort of trauma just yeah. as a human being and then if you're in leadership trying to lead people um that was probably the toughest season and yeah. we um the one thing that really hurt us as a church is we had an ESL program that was thriving where we connected with a lot of refugee communities and um, that didn't translate to online as much as we had hoped for. Um, Now that's slowly building back up everything else um, for us. It was staying the course and continuing to be innovative and not using the pandemic as an excuse not to do anything. So as Michael mentioned, we were on flatbed trucks doing parking lot worship in eight different parking lots throughout the Dayton area. We rotated around. Um, Even on Christmas Eve, we did two services in like 30 degree weather. People hated me, but 
Um, <laughs> it definitely created a memory. Um, but yeah, just like anybody, we lost some people. Um, and, you know, you didn't open up soon enough. You opened up too late. You couldn't really make anybody happy. Um, and so Rich Velotis calls that CPR dealing with COVID, the presidential elections, and then the racial injustices we've seen. Um, and so when we've addressed some of those things, we've lost people along the way. But I'd rather lose people for the right reasons than the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I think the the other big failure that for us was like pre-COVID, we had these fresh expressions. They're very organic. They're very like, um, you know, we don't pass an attendance pad. We don't really collect people's information, if you will. We did not. And so when the pandemic hit and we lost all those third places, we literally lost connection and the ability to contact people and the, the fresh expression were really formed around these practices that we were doing together, like getting tattoos together in a tattoo parlor, eating burritos together in a Tex-Mex restaurant. And the, we never really recovered some of those relationships uh, that we had. And I'm talking about people, we had such tight community. Like I was like, these people will storm the gates together, you know, and a lot of those people just never. So one of the things we've learned is to try to um, have some kind of digital element of these things and get creative with, uh, get people's cell phones so we can stay in a group text together, create a Facebook group for each fresh expression or page where people can connect and contact each other in between the gatherings. And so we have a way to like track all that. Um, so overall, I think it made things stronger, but a lot of things did die um, in between. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It kind of reminds me, I was thinking about this recently, um, with my experience and I think it might be I don't know if it's true of like just younger people or maybe people in general but a lot I've noticed of the way that communities seem to work is that people will be a part of the community for a season and in generations past it was this is my church and I'm you know I'm I'm not planning to leave this town I'm not planning to leave this church Mm -hmm. and it was something that you were there for your whole life and some people still are have found places where they thrive and where they they do that. But for a lot of people, um, depending on the rhythms of their lives and the stresses and their jobs and all those different things, they might find themselves part of a community and be super, super involved for like six months. And then they get maybe burnt out or are ready for something new and will move on. And so um, I guess I wanted to hear a little bit from you all of what what is that like as um, as a leader, and how do you how do you navigate that with knowing that some of these relationships that might be really important for a little bit of time are going to change and evolve? Yeah, I, I've kept the posture um, over the last few years um, of being like this, and that is open handed. People don't belong to me; they don't belong to the church. They belong to God, and mm-hmm. God's going to call people for a season. And some will stay, some will go, some will learn and, and grow and, and go, right? Um, but at the end of the day, they don't belong to me. And um, the tendency is, you know, early on in my ministry and even now is still fighting that people pleasing where I'll inconvenience myself to meet somebody else's need. Mm-hmm. And um, these are folks that if I say one wrong thing, they're going to be out. I could baptize their kids. I could uh, do, you know, loved ones funeral. I could do weddings. 
I could walk with them through the gates of hell, but if there's one thing I do that maybe they don't like, they're they're out the door and we don't see them again. And so why why would I sacrifice my family on the altar so I can appease people who really aren't going to stick with me? Um, and I you can't take it personally, but ministry is a contact sport. Um, it really is. And we're human beings. It's not just a quote unquote profession. Um, we invest in the lives of people. And so I don't think that returns void when we do it in the name of the Lord and for the Lord. Uh, but we do have to have proper boundaries. So we're not setting up these expectations of these people are always going to be with me or, mm-hmm. or with this church. Um, and so when someone says, hey, I'm going to leave or I'm going to do you know, hey, we want to bless you. And, and it's this posture of being open-handed. That's helped my mentality out a lot in my psyche where I'm not taking those things personal. I'm not taking that as rejection of me. Mm-hmm. But as God as God calls people into our fold, God calls people out too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think for me, it's like there's two two groups of people that I'm thinking about with that question. And it's um, the inherited group of folks and and the conventional church that I serve as a pastor, um, and you know we we teach our our lay team our preaching team um, the first three rules on our preaching team is preach the text rule number one rule number two preach the text rule number three preach the text like the Bible has more fascinating horrifying beautiful life giving things that you could ever come up with so preach the passage. And uh, just as important is exegete the context and the pain points and the hopes and dreams and struggles of this actual community so that the message that, that lands with the people. But when you do that, right, as Roz was saying, we have to challenge racism, right? We have to speak out. Uh, we have to challenge racism. We have to speak out against things that are causing harm. We have to be vocal about that. That's the prophetic tradition that goes back to, you know, Amos, Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the fullest embodiment of all that stuff is Jesus, right? So we can't just evade or ignore. But when you take what I consider to be following Jesus as a political position, it is a it is a kingdom that we are uh, pledging allegiance to, right? which means I can't pledge allegiance to other things and other empires. But people are going to disagree with that, and people are going to leave. Now, the part about the organic rhythms of people's lives with fresh expressions, I've never planted one and thought, this will be here you know, 20 years from now. Like when we started Tattoo Parlor Church, which is 11 years old now, I did not think I'd still be doing it. Right? I'm running out of space on my hands and arms to get tattoos. But um, <laughs> it's still going, right? But it's it's a part of people's natural rhythm. I think some of the contextual communities, like if you're, you know, in a parenting season and you're doing a fresh expression in a karate dojo with your kids, with other parents who are doing that. So this is just helping church in, in, incarnate and spread into every nook and cranny of life the way I think Jesus intends church to not just be this isolated thing that only happens on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. But it's spread all out across the, the the week and every place and every. So some of those things are going to have a life cycle and a rhythm, and the sustainability of that is not. Let's build a thing that'll last three thousand years or that I'll my whole life participate in. 
but let's mm-hmm. build something that's really significant, meaningful, that helps people flourish in a kingdom way, multiply disciples in that. Then new things are going to spring out of that that then incarnate in other rhythms and spaces and times. And then you have kind of church spreading out all throughout a parish. And the words mm-hmm. of John Wesley, you know, the world is our parish. Um, so there's mm-hmm. those kind of natural and organic rhythms. And then the helping those things live together in an ecosystem, which I think, by the way, is what Roz does so well. He has so many different kind of missional communities happening, all connected. One of my favorite, um, and Roz, if you could talk to us about this, is a uh, fighting chance, which my experience of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of the church um, and the people who are part of that community, like that is their church. Some participate in the larger life of the church, but a lot of them, like that's their primary Christian community. Tell us about fighting. Yeah, it, you know, we kick off uh, with centering around a meal. Um, and so trying to feed 150 people is not easy every week, but somehow, some way it comes together because we want to eliminate that barrier as to people getting there off of work and, and whatnot. Um, and then, uh, we have childcare too, where, Hey, um, you get a free meal and you can drop your kids off. Wow. Uh, that that's a win. And, um, the, the service is, more centered um, around elements of recovery. So the serenity prayer, um, we give shout outs or clean time shout outs. uh, And then we either work on a step together through a panel discussion, or it's somebody giving their story or their testimony. Um, And we've had a variety of things. We, we, you know, just shake things up a little bit. Um, but that community has become one of the largest communities now, recovery communities in, in our area, and it's less than two years old, um, and people's lives are being transformed. They're finding community, uh, friendship, um, recovery, and not only getting you know sponsors, but spiritual mentors and being able to reconcile their recovery with their faith as well, because some of them haven't been able to do that. Um, Mm. and so, yeah, that, that's become, you know, I don't, yeah, it it is. We have five missional communities when you think about it, because we have that, we have our acoustic service at the same time as our traditional service. Then we have our full blown contemporary, which is a mix of gospel and charismatic kind of, it's just, you never know what you're going to get with that. And then we have a, a Spanish speaking service as well. Um, and so all of these have been just birthed for, with the vision of how are we reaching more people and multiplying leaders? Mm-hmm. Um, and so our Spanish service is led by a layperson, and fighting chance is 99% lay led. I am just there for pastoral support, but I rarely get on stage to do anything. Um, I'm supporting the leaders there. And they're owning it, and they're really skyrocketing it. It's been amazing um, to be able to to witness. So, yeah, it's it's a great community. It's changed my life. Hmm. That's great. So, I have a question. This one is a, a kind of fun one, but I, I think it could there could be some cool things to it. So, um, you 
said that you were a church custodian. That's one mm-hmm. of the ways that you've worked in the church. So what's something that you learned as a church custodian that you never would have learned as a pastor? Um, if I can learn, uh, you know, my first, my first um, experience as a custodian, the toilet overflowed. Mm. And it overflowed with stuff in it. Um, and if I could learn to clean up people's shit, literally, then maybe I could prove myself to be able to do that spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I learned more about service and loving God's people, uh, by being a custodian than I did in any classroom setting. Because a young guy or young gal out of seminary, they want to go and preach Mm -hmm. right away when you really need to hand them a mop or hand them, you know, some cleaning supplies and see what you have. Hey, show us what you got. And uh, I think we've built that culture up where, hey, you're going to plant the church and it's going to be awesome and great. And, um, you know, you'll get some accolades and maybe write a book and. And have all these things, but I think the greatest training we can do really is teaching people how to serve first. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and to me, that was the way to prove yourself to be able to preach um, and and have that opportunity. Are you willing to serve? Um, and, and that's that's what's made uh, Mosaic beautiful. Is we have a you know a, a preaching team, and as one of our mentors. Um, says, you know, we've really died to that solo heroic leader model and have been able to employ the whole people of God uh, to be able to deliver the message. So, yeah, that 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 custodial experience shaped me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in the recovery community, we have this um, kind of similar culture. Or when you get sober, the first thing you do is, you you know, we say you can't, um, you know, think your way into sober living. You can only live your way uh, into sober thinking. And so the first thing you do is you make coffee, you clean up the room, you know, you set up the chairs, you put out the literature, um, you do those basic things of servanthood. And then you build upon that and then you chair the meeting and then, then you get to share and then you get to sponsor people. Um, and Roz, literally, you got built as a disciple like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. From a from humility and 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 uh, the servant heart of Christ, you know. Um, and I was just thinking when you were sharing about cleaning up shit, uh, one of my one of my mentors used to say, "Sheep bite, and sometimes they shit in your office." So get ready, <laughs> get ready to clean up a lot of shit as a pastor, right? But um, I, I think that's missing. And in, in so much discipleship development and in churches where people see the bright, shiny stuff and they see the person on the stage, you know, and they think, oh, it's all about that. And they don't see the struggle. They don't see the things that people put in behind the scenes to get to where they are. And they just want that. And, and when you create that, I think that's why you get a lot of what we see in the church today, which is moral failures and ego driven things that just implode over time because 
that that servant heart of Christ that you exemplify so well, Ross, is just missing in some some of that development process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about education and all about getting degrees and all about classes and like no, you know, clean up some crap, mop a floor, um, make some coffee for some drunks. You know, those are mm-hmm. those are great training for ministry. Yeah, and we miss that even at the seminary level or theological education too. It doesn't emphasize um, being a servant and leading in that type of way. Um, And so we theorize instead of getting that practical hands-on textile, Mm -hmm. you know, experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like um, everybody should work in some kind of service like that, like food service as well. Then you'll mm. understand why you need to tip, <laughs> tip your yep. server, tip mm. your barista, anything like that. You know, people think Absolutely. it's, you know, that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's important. I mean, that's important work. Churches need custodians and need people that are, that are cleaning. They need, we need those people that are setting up the chairs and, um, when you've experienced it firsthand, you know to appreciate it all the more, the work that goes into that. Yeah. Yeah, and we're in between the size of being a medium-sized church and a large church, which is really weird mm. um, kind of space to be in. So, you know, if we're having a gathering, it's all hands on deck, setting up chairs or tables or, you know, all those things. So it's, we 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 um, have really misunderstood um you know this priesthood of all believers because we think we need to pay everybody to do ministry mm-hmm. and and that's not often the case or we end up robbing people of ministry because we think the religious paid professional needs to do that mm-hmm. you know Roz, that that leads to the next question we want to ask and um just a little personal reflection on that i'm i'm in an experiment right now, like, can we have a church where nobody gets paid? Um, and, and where I, as the pastor have other sources of income and employment in a gig economy that I can support the church rather than expect the church to support me. And like you said, that means when we show up and we got to put up chairs and tables, guess who's doing that? (laughs) Like you have to model and lead that yourself. If you want to see that in your people. And, and I, I feel like, you know, Luther had some great stuff, early Luther, not not late Luther, but uh, around uh, sacred work, vocation, all work is sacred work, whether you're the janitor, you're the, you're the mm-hmm. you know, table setter up or the pre, whatever, um, that all work is sacred work and beautiful and um, gives glory to God. And um, when you think about the future of the church, uh, like go, go out 20, 30 years, um, what do you see? Like, what yeah. does the future church look like? Yeah, I, it goes back for me for my dissertation because I, you know, cut my teeth in urban ministry. And so early on, um, not that I took a vow of poverty, but I was the lowest paid elder in my annual conference. Um, and I don't say that as a, a position of pride. But if we were going to be able to do the things that we were going to be able to do, um, it meant little or no pay. And so I've gone through seasons of that. But I, I, I've i seen kind of, um, you know, I wrote about, you know, the financial tsunami 
where 80% of givers are over the age of 55 years old. Um, and so even now it's rare to have a full-time uh, job or employment in a ministry setting. And I think, you know, 10, 20 years from now, it, it's going to be very scarce in that, in that matter. But I think the church just through like COVID is going to, um, is going to prune, be pruned and grow in organic ways. And um, the old models will, I think, quickly die out and you'll see more of the, you know, you know, years ago we talked about the missional model of church, but I, I, I think something like that will rise up the work you're doing with fresh expressions where people are going to feel called to do the work that God's calling them to do in, in ministry but also be able to support their ministry habit through whether it's accounting or whether it's, you know, a doctor or janitor or a a waiter, waitress, a barista, whatever it may be. Um, So I think things were already tracking that way. And I think you talk 20 or 30 years out, it it may be totally unpaid work that that's happening. Um, Especially with, um, the amount of debt Americans carry. Um, people want to be generous. They want to give. Uh, they don't know how because they can't. They're bound. And so, um, and, and the church has done a, a poor job of casting a compelling vision past a light bill or a utility bill or a new roof. Um, and so our, our spaces have to be redeemed too. Um, the hard part is, um, not everybody's going to have Michael Beck's heart. So when Michael Beck is called away, you need somebody else that's willing to make those types of sacrifices that are going to live into that. And not everybody's going to. Um, so that makes this work harder in, in that succession. Yeah. And um, I know you and Callie wrote an amazing book on um, stewardship and finances. And for our listeners, give, give like a little clip cliff note of that book, like the main yeah. idea and, and tell yeah. us what are some creative funding things that you do at Mosaic to financially yeah. sustain all that? Yeah. Um, you know, we took Wesley's model about earn all you can give all you or save all you can give all you can. Um, and we talked about spending too, and we, you know, leaned on some of Wesley's sermons to be able to put it in today's vernacular and, um, and give illustrations about people exercising those things, whether it's personal illustrations or the couple in my church that paid off $50,000 of debt in 18 months, this couple in their twenties. Um, so it is possible, uh, but it doesn't come, you know, quick. Uh, it's that study plotting. And so uh, we emphasize really, um, I, I think, you know, churches, you know, and I'm coaching a planter right now, they want to do these fundraisers and this, that, and the other. I'm like, you're spending more of your time doing a bake sale when you could be applying that time on growing generous givers. Um, and so you got to preach, teach, and celebrate and model generosity. And that's something that we've tried to do. And so when the people are actually stepping up and doing it, let them know. Hey, y'all, um, thank you for giving back to the mission. So um, I think uh, you can't say thank you enough 
in communication with the church, um, with the body, um, why uh, they're giving matters. And so every Sunday, um, churches are positioned better than nonprofits because you have 52 weeks a year to be able to talk about giving. And so the offering moment is not, hey, can usher just come up? We're going to take the offering. I, I, you know, use that time to to cast a compelling vision. Um, Beyond that and growing generous givers, um, think about what assets you have. Um, Sometimes you have to get off your assets, right? (laughs) Um, So is it that facility that is um, unused space? You know, 80% of our churches or 80% of a church maybe is unused except for Sunday morning. So what does it look like to have co-sharing space after school programs, partnering with nonprofits? Not that you can make money, like it can't be solely about money, but it's got to line up with your vision as well. So you're not going to have a brewery come in as cool as that would be um, because you're a recovery community. That wouldn't make sense, not congruent with your with your values. Um, so I think there's leveraging our space. And what, you know, God asked Moses, what's in your hand? Um, I believe all the resources we need exist right in our local churches. Um, we just have to look carefully sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this undeveloped piece of land in Lexington, and um, it was a sinkhole. They bought The church bought it originally for parking, and they never needed it. And so one day I said, we're going to sell this put a sign in the yard. People laughed at me. So no one's going to want to buy that. I didn't know you needed approval through trustees and all that stuff. I didn't pay attention to polity. <laughs> so still, um, still don't still. Yeah, still don't. Um, and, um, you know, and so we were able to sell land and get housing two housing units, 80 or 40 units a piece of housing. Um, so a total of 80 units, $10 million project. Guess how much it cost the church? Zero. A developer bought it, partnered with the church, gave the church some money as well, um, and is now doing landscaping for life at the church and worked out a great deal. And the church then gets to help, you know, send people to get into the housing units. Um, and it's, you know, mixed income because I think that's how transformation happens. It's not these high-end lofts, but it's it's this mixed development. Um, so, you know, I'd ask pastors, what's in your hand? Um, so some people ask, why did you go back and get an MBA? You already got degrees. And I really just wanted to strengthen um, some of the natural business sense um, that I had, even though I didn't know how to read a spreadsheet years ago. Um, I had kind of that natural ability. What, what do we have? So there's, you know, in the one church that we restarted, they had old handbells. Um, with no handbell choir. So I sold those suckers for $10,000, man. And I, I, and I had the people meet me in the back of the church to be able to get it out. So, um, you know, it's looking at what do you have that you're not using, whether it's people resources, building resources, land, whatever it may be, people skills, um, and so uh, that that's a good way to fuel the the vision and mission, giving young entrepreneurs an opportunity to partner with you. Um, hey, uh, you want to start a coffee shop? Why don't you try serving coffee here on a Sunday morning? 
and learn and learn in that. Um, so I've given people shots, you know, opportunities like that. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But you have to be willing to take risks because um, if you do the same thing over again, you know, it, it, you're going to get the same results. So. It's mm-hmm. hmm. good. Yeah. I think the stewards, I hear the theme of, uh, you know, stewardship. So using, you know, don't hoard things that maybe we might use them someday, like the handbells, you know, and like, why don't we be smart about what we're doing here? You know, think through it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another, I think something I know as a young person is um, I think a lot of people value transparency and honesty. So knowing where money's going, people yep. are going to be more likely to give it if they know that, you know, the cause or the group that they're giving it to where that money is going, you know, if you're going straight into the pockets of, you know, whoever, or straight into something that a ministry that's not working or something like that, people want to know. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, we started with zero budget. We built up to about an $800,000 budget. So we're not like rolling in the dough, but that's a lot for an Ohio church. Um, and it, it's been through this methodology, but I'm not shy about talking about money either. So it's like, Hey, if you're, if you, you call Mosaic your home church, we want to challenge you to give. You just saw 21 baptisms. Um, we call that return on investment, you know, um, or if you've been dating us a while, maybe it's time to, to commit. And so it's challenging people to, 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 a, to the next level. And ultimately, it's not what you want from people. It's what you want for people. And, and that's financial freedom. And when they're free and they've paid off their debt, then they're able to be more generous. They want to be generous. Yeah. Um, so th- that's something that we work with. And Kelly and I are working on a, a book coming up, but it's it's looking under the surface of our spending patterns and habits. Um, because a lot of times we think, oh, we just need to do Dave Ramsey or Crown Financial. Well, uh, there's a plethora of stuff, but unless you treat the symptom, um, you're, you're just scratching at the surface. And so is it how your your mother or father or the person who raised you had a view of money differently? And so when I bring couples together for premarital counseling, I ask them, how was how money treated in each of your households? Um, because if there's a difference there, chances are, you're going to have a different philosophy and theology about how you use, spend, and save money, um, which is one of the number one leading causes for divorce and for anxiety and, and depression and all those things because you haven't really talked through that and you haven't dealt with some of the baggage um, that may be associated with money um, or keeping up with the Joneses or Kardashians or feeling like you have to be this or that. Um, and so there are a lot of different emotions. So we're going to kind of get to the underlying iceberg with Peter Scazzaro, that metaphor of emotionally healthy finances. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, um, about wrapping up. So any closing thoughts and then also, where can our listeners find you online? Can they listen in on Mosaic or learn more about the different ministries that are happening around that? 
Yeah. Um, you can find me at rosariopicardo.com or you can um, go to mosaic, search mosaic. We are mosaic.org. Um, and that is our church's website. And you'll be able to find my sermons and other people's sermons um, and learn more about our church and what we do. But hey, I'm just grateful uh, for this opportunity to have this conversation. And chances are the people that are listening want to engage in starting new places and being those, um, you know, adventurers and finding new ways of reaching people. And so um, keep trying, keep persisting and know that you're not doing it on your own power, but it's the power of God working in and through you. Awesome. Amen. And to those who are listening, thank you for joining along with this episode of New People, New Ways. And if you enjoyed our conversation with Roz, you can share it with a friend and please give us a rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening. If you would like to learn more about Fresh Expressions, you can check out freshexpressionsfl.org and find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We would love to connect with you. So see you next time on New People, New Ways.